So where in the world are you now, Richie? I, I don't know. I was actually thinking about this. Uh, so th- this is the first the first of our rebroadcast. So I'm probably in Thailand? Somewhere in Thailand? Well, I mean, look out your window and tell us. Uh, well, I'm in beautiful Brixton no, right now. you're in... That's not... Far, oh, yeah, Brixton, which is in Bangkok. Bri- no, it's in London, you fucking idiot. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it, Richard. God damn it. I'm trying, trying, Thousands of pounds of improv classes, I'm and trying, this is what I get. <laughs> you're not kind of, the president <laughs> of Makey Uppie Stan. This man is a liar. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I did, we're playing it pretty loose with this trip. Uh, we haven't really... I, we're flying into Thailand and flying out of um, Vietnam and Cambodia is probably going to happen somewhere in the middle. But aside from that, we don't really... We're going to be playing pretty loose. That's so. a good way to do it, though. Steve, am I going to die? Maybe. <laughs> this trip? I mean, I did send you that treasure map. You, you did, and thank you for that. So, I need Wait you... Wait a minute. No, you didn't send me a treasure map. What are you talking about, you <laughs> fucking idiot? Check your emails, okay? <laughs> yes, you did send me that treasure map. And first um, of all, when we're done recording with this, you have to go to the Temple of Doom. Yes, which, that's right. I mean, is just it's just an it's just a name. Just don't a worry, name. it's more of a cathedral of doom. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's this episode? This is the people versus tech. Oh my god! This this episode probably maybe out of more. Probably most, hold on, where's her heart? I'm in Thailand, leave me alone, I probably have sunstroke. Uh, I, I find myself referencing this uh, this episode most in my day-to-day life, if you know what I mean. Really? Like little tidbits, little anecdotes, little like scary things. Just because, it, again, it feels, it's still, we recorded, what, two years ago? 2018. Yeah, and uh, but still incredibly relevant. Um. You know, <laughs> jump in in the conversation. Here. It wasn't a conversation. You were in the middle of a statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's it's. it's is, this, I, I promise, is this how you drop it into conversations? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I start off with, you know, and it's it's a book. Um, a smart guy that said uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. <laughs> okay, Bartlett. we're not going. We haven't said his name right. Jamie Bartlett. Jamie Bartlett, author of The People versus Tech. Or how the internet is killing democracy, and then in parentheses, and how we save it. Nice, very long, wordy nice. title. Very long, wordy title. Um, but why, why are we picking this one, Steve? As you said, of all of our many episodes, it is still incredibly relevant. It, as I said so eloquently, <laughs> I do think about it a lot as well. Um, when you're showering, anytime, <laughs> pooping, showering, all the most important activities. <laughs> Mostly those two. Mostly those two. When I'm when most I'm, active on my phone, showering. <laughs> oh my I like looking at Twitter when I'm showering. Yeah. Don't, oh, really? Don't. <laughs> it's the only way you can feel clean when you're on exactly. Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yes. Jamie explained the perils and opportunities that the new technological innovations. He calls them. He calls them perilunities. Perilunities. <laughs> trademark. <laughs> uh, to technology and how we do democracy. Yeah. He doesn't J- offer any hard solutions. No, but because there are no hearts. There are no hearts. It's like it's it's a it's a big meandering, complicated problem, and the solutions are probably going to be similarly uh, complicated. But you know, the, I think starting by reading the book. No, sorry, starting by listening to podcasts, then reading the book is probably a good way to get to get going on a, on a solution in your personal life. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jamie's also got, just before we get started, Jamie's also, uh, since we recorded this episode, has had a very successful podcast of his own, uh, The Missing Crypto Queen. He did. He, he did BBC, BBC, very BBC well Sounds or something. Yeah. yeah, really, really well. Um, so maybe if you enjoy listening to us chat with Jamie, there's there's more Jamie content out there for you. And there will be a link to his Twitter in the show notes where you can get yeah. more up-to-date stuff. But for the moment, let's listen to Jamie in 2018. So uh, we're here with Jamie Bartlett, journalist, director of... I wrote this down because I would never remember it. Director of <laughs> yeah, the you center, a lot of stuff. <laughs> director of the Centre for the Analysis of Social Media at Demos. Yeah, which I is forget a, it myself sometimes. <laughs> you're also a TED Talker. <laughs> and most importantly, you are the author of the new book, The People vs. Tech. What's the subline again? How the internet is killing democracy. <gasps> and then my editors made me put something good in brackets. The parentheses. Oh, we were literally talking about that. I was about to say it to you, but then you showed up, was that we were talking about the title and then the subtitle and then the part in parentheses. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I bet you that was like an addendum <laughs> added on to make sure it's not too yeah, scary of a title. It's true. The editors are like, you can't just be so downbeat all the time. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to have something positive to give people something to hang on to. We haven't <laughs> actually mentioned it. What is, what's in it's, brackets? It's and how to save it. Yes. Yes. It You're, being democracy. It being <laughs> Not like you know how to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's like a that's a super provocative title, but well, it's also it's also well earned. Is the thing I'll say. Like when when I, when, I, when we were reading it, we were chatting about how you know just a couple of pages in or a chapter in, you realise that you've actually earned that title. Oh well, yeah, thanks. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it is a it is a provocative title, but the the point of the book as well is to shake people and say there's a really big. Crisis go. We're really at risk here of, yeah. of losing democracy, of people totally giving up on it as a system, of like drifting into some awful techno authoritarianism. And you've got to kind of shake people to realize what's going on because once you get there, it's too late. Mm. And obviously, I mean, if I'm perfectly honest, the title should be How Modern Digital Technology is Undermining modern liberal representative democracy in advanced capitalist economies. But that's I perfect. Mean, who why wants to, who why wants didn't to they go with that? that? Yeah. <laughs> I can see it on the side of a bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like on the Kindle store. It's like how and then a bunch of dots <laughs> <laughs> expand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so can you give us just like a broad stroke then about you touching a little bit there but about what the concept the book is trying to tackle? Well, over the last few years, I've seen like all of us really, a series of stories about the about problems to do with the internet. Oh, it's internet trolling, it's Russian disinformation, it's Cambridge Analytica, it's automation and the rise of a jobless future where everything's being done by robots and and obviously the turbulence in politics and the elections we've seen recently and the sort of anger and rage. And I used to see them almost in isolation, like just a series of bad events. Mm. But um, I increasingly came to see that maybe they were part of a bigger story, which is we got this democracy that um, we've built up over several decades. Uh, it's a sort of old technology. It relies on certain institutions to keep it running. Uh, it was built in an analog time. And then suddenly you've got this digital technology that turns up not so long ago. And the two things just keep colliding with each other. Mm. They keep causing problems for each other. They don't really work together very well. And so the way that I see it is that digital technology, especially social media, but not that's not only that, of course, artificial intelligence is a really important part of this too, is obviously liberating at a personal level. 
like these gadgets that we've all got in our hands all the time, you know, they help us. We learn things. We find out about stuff. We can communicate with each other. We can speak our mind. So on first sight, it's very good for democracy because it's good for individual liberty. But there are boring things that make democracy work too. A strong middle class, a, a vibrant local media ecosystem, a criminal justice system that works, citizens that are prepared to compromise with each other, elections that people actually trust that aren't constantly being meddled with by outside forces. And all of those boring bits of democracy are being gradually undermined by digital technology. Mm. And my worry is that people are just going to lose faith in democracy as a system that actually works. And especially when you've got the rise of these smart machines and artificial intelligence, that's only going to get worse. So you mentioned at the start of the book that when you started working first at Demos, you were actually optimistic about the potential for the technology and social media to actually help the democratic process. You guys even developed an app called Verto and to try and help help people um, pick who they wanted to vote for. But now writing the book a couple of years later, you think that that may have been one of the worst ideas you've ever worked on? <laughs> one of the worst ideas of lots of bad ideas that I've had. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 um, yeah, when I first came to Demos, uh, as a decade ago now, I was really, I was a real optimist about it. I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to use social media and the internet to breathe life into our tired old democracy. Twitter's the future. It's going to throw down these hierarchies. And like a lot of people, I mean, I guess... You know, if you're if you're not an optimist about this when you're under thirty, then you've got no heart. But mm. if you're still an optimist when you're over thirty, then you've got no brain. You know, that's <laughs> paraphrasing Winston Churchill there. But um, but but over the years, yeah, I did become more optimist, uh, pessimistic about this, and more worried. And I guess seeing patterns of behaviour and how you think you're going to throw down hierarchies with your smartphone, and then you realise that other hierarchies just turn up in their place, and other power structures and other problems emerged, and in a way, that's the story of Silicon Valley itself, this great optimism about how we're going to change the world for the better, but not realising that when you smash everything up, you're kind of responsible for the problems that come with it and things don't always work out as you plan. And this voter app, I thought it was the best idea ever. I mean, basically <laughs> what you do is you you put in your... You answer a series of questions about what you care about. Do you like high tax or low tax, immigration? What do you think about the NHS? Did a little... And some clever algorithm then tells you who you should vote for. It's meant to help you decide who to vote for. And I thought this was brilliant. I thought this is going to mean that people who are unsure are are guided, they're assisted. Now I think 5 million people have used that app or similar apps. Um, Now I just think the the one responsibility that every citizen has is to think for themselves about who they should vote for. It's not that hard. You, you can read about it. It's easy. And yet millions of people are relying on a machine to tell, and a machine they don't understand, to tell them who to vote for. All that does in the end is means you lose your critical faculties to even think for yourself when you just ask a machine to do everything for you. Siri, who should I vote for in the EU <laughs> referendum? I don't know what to do. And then Siri tells you, okay, I'll do that. Is that democracy? Yeah. And then the danger is, is that perhaps... When you're asking Siri, Trump's voice jumps in and goes, you should vote for Donald Trump this time. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't even realise that the app that you're asking is in fact paid for and run by a political campaign. Exactly, exactly. Who's programming it? Who's behind it? What are the biases in this algorithm that's telling you who to vote for? It might be a, it might be a right-wing person, but it might be a liberal person that's, uh, that's kind of nudging you and, and pushing you. And just like gradually and slowly... See, this is the thing 
that worries me is that without even realising it, all of us just lose the ability to think for ourselves properly because we just rely on machines to do things for us. And a democracy, I don't know if it really works when everybody's just relying on machines. And do you think we're starting to see the effects of that already? Even though it's only like, realistically, it's only been in very, very recent human history that we've had these devices and these influences. But do you think we're already, from the perspective of politics, seeing these negative effects? I, 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 the, the one feature of politics over the last um, five years that I've noticed more than other any other is the sort of rise of tribalism in politics which is a sort of politics where you don't really think for yourself. You just pick the team that you're on. We're the good guys. Everybody else is a bad guy. You begin to see everybody else as just arguing in bad faith. Your opponents are evil. They're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They're malevolent. And you're on your team. And politics has always been tribal a little bit because it kind of has to be in a way with part with political parties. But the level of tribalism now and the speed with which people just denounce each other immediately without listening to them, without thinking about what they're saying, without willing to entertain the idea that they may have a point of view that's valid, that to me is part of it because that's the expression of citizens who are lazy, who are angry, who are taking shortcuts, who can't be bothered to think but rather just point at each other. That's how I judge politics today. That's the thing that I worry about it. And to me, that is, that is what digital technology is doing to politics. Because I guess the point of digital technology is that they don't claim to be necessarily media platforms per se looking to put out good messages on people's behalf. They want you to sit on the app and scroll. And one of the things that's going to bring you back to the app is the opportunity to point and shout at people on online, which obviously then they're going to change the algorithm to try and pull you back in to make yeah. you see more of those things. That's the whole... See, that's one of the incompatibility problems. I mean, these social media platforms, they call themselves tech firms, but in the end, they're advertising firms, really. That's where all the money comes from. So they are incentivized to keep you on the site for as long as possible. You know, some of the brightest minds in the world are sitting in basements trying to work out how can we keep these guys online for another nanosecond? Because if we can, it means a little bit more data about them we collect or a slightly get a better chance of them clicking on an advert. That, and that's the logic of how they, they their business model works. And when it comes to politics, like what keeps you on? What keeps you glued online? It's emotional content. It's outrageous content. It's stuff that gets you angry and frustrated. That's what adverts have always been about. And that's kind of what's happening to politics. But and emotion is part of politics. But you, at some point, if you get too emotional when it comes to politics, you just end up screaming at each other. Right? I mean, you guys must have seen this online. I mean, this is people sh who you know in real life they're not really like that. You know that you could probably get on okay, yeah. but you end up s slagging each other off, screaming each other. So the practical um, aspects. Cambridge Analytica has been a huge story this spring. And you actually have to bring the release of the book forward a couple of weeks because it turns out your six book weeks. Is six weeks. Oh God, don't get me started <laughs> on what happened. <laughs> because you had already, you had you had gone over to the US um, as research for a documentary you're working on before the disruptors of Silicon Valley, wasn't it? Where you yeah, talked to the yeah. people that worked for Trump. Yeah. So I guess you had already seen and were aware of all this work that was going on, but then all of a sudden, everyone else decides to be aware mm. <laughs> just when you're about to release your book. Yeah, it's weird that because we, you know, this BBC series I did. Yeah, I, I interviewed um, the head honcho at Cambridge Analytica, Alexander Nix, 
Uh, the since peop- he's retired or he's been he's, he's resigned. been retired he's been, <laughs> he's been retired <laughs> like a replicant <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and um, it's funny with, with, with the whole story actually because the whole thing is like a James Bond movie I think that's one of the reasons it's been so like people have got so interested in this because we covered it for the BBC six or nine months ago now and it didn't generate anywhere near the same amount of interest so I I interviewed Alexander Nix I went to San Antonio Texas and went to the office where all where the Cambridge Analytica guys were working with the Trump team and I met the person that was designing all of Trump's content online and she was writing all of his Facebook posts for him which was a really weird experience because mm. I was like so what was it like then writing Facebook posts for Donald Trump and she said oh it was wonderful because when he writes posts, it's so authentic. Oh, and I was oh my like, God, the irony. yeah, that's uh, <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, you know what authentic means. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of part of it, which is authenticity now is just another thing for politicians to try to create. Oh, it's, it's not it's actually... authenticity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, it didn't actually generate a huge amount of interest. I seen it. I seen that documentary when, when it came out. And the thing that I remembered was the self-driving truck. Yeah. I didn't really put too much thought on the Cambridge Analytica thing. And then yeah. afterwards I was like, oh, well, oh. I didn't yeah, pay attention to the right part of that I documentary. Think this is why people now have got so into it. So you got this, obviously the Observer and this journalist there, Carol Cadwallader, has been really driving this story. And it's like, so you got Alexander Nix. He's uh, an Eton-educated head of this data analytics firm, and he looks a bit like a Bond villain anyway. <laughs> and then you've got this shadowy billionaire called Mercer who like <laughs> runs the whole thing. You've That's got an academic a- who got the data from Facebook called Spectre, <laughs> a- a.k.a. Kogan. And then you have like this scrappy little journalist called Carol who's on the case, and it's literally like it's a Bond movie. It's going to be a movie, yeah. It's yeah. a Bond movie. <laughs> called Spectre. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> and... um. Yeah, so we 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 kind of I I was surprised how many people were surprised in the end because this is going on all the time. A lot of political parties are doing this stuff, and they're collecting data, they're building profiles on people using social media data, they're targeting everyone. And when Obama did it in two thousand and twelve, everyone was cheering him to the rafters, saying, "This is genius! It's wonderful! Trump does it, and it's the end of the world." And, is that um, because the level to which each individual was doing it, like the the, the Trump had, you know, like those 5,000 data points on 200 million plus people. I assume Obama's wasn't as as invasive as that, or is it just more of an ideological difference? I think it's a bit of both. I've been, tr- I've been trying to think about this myself, like what accounts for the difference? Yeah. And I, I think in some ways it's that a lot of liberals just love Obama, so right. he anything he did was, was cool and that's fine. And, you know, and when your guy wins, it's great. Um, but, I, but I do think it's that, the level of intrusion now, even now compared to 2012, is much greater. Like, there's much more data you can get on people. A lot more of it's now about psychological profiling, whereas Obama's might have been about, you know, do they tend to vote Democrat or not? And what's their income level? Now it's all about what are their emotional drivers? You know, what really annoys them? What kind of personality types do they have? So it's definitely more intrusive. But, you know, that should be a cause for worry because a lot of this was perfectly legal, what they did. Mm. Think about the direction of travel. What's an election going to be like in a decade? Mm. This is what I'm, I'm worried about. This is why I'm trying to write, you know, I'm trying to get the word out with this book. It's like, forget for a second the Trump election or Brexit or whatever. Think about where we're going. Like, if we carry on in the same direction. Because in... In elections in the 2020s, candidates, and well, they'll have 10,000 data points on you, 20,000 data points on you. They'll know more and more and more about everything that you care about. 
And you'll just get more and more personalized messages about exactly the thing you care about that you're worried about. And it'll all be to do with nudging you to vote for them. Is that where we want politics to go, really? Like a data science of like nudging people. That's what I'm worried about, you know? Yeah. It, feels like, it feels like an erosion of free will, but so slowly that you don't even realize you're losing it. Yeah, the kind of the 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 boiling frog problem yeah, yeah. Is, that they say. But like, we're entering into this world of what people are calling it the Internet of Things or, you know, Internet enabled devices, the Internet of Everything, i.e., everything is going to be chipped up and recording data. So your children's clothes will be chipped up. They'll be recording data. You have a smart fridge, a smart coffee machine. And by the way, your smart coffee machine will get hacked into and Ukrainian criminals will be asking for a ransom payment. You're pointing at me directly. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at you because you look like you need a coffee. (laughs) I I can do, yeah. Uh, And you'll be arguing... I'll pay any Bitcoin to get it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You have to pay your Bitcoin to get your coffee in the morning. But that'll be creating data about how many coffees you drink and what time you drink them. And we'll work out, you know, through correlating your coffee consumption with the tone of your Facebook posts, your mood... Versus your coffee consumption. Oh, that would be so easy. Like, they just send me all the angriest ads just right before I have my coffee. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But they'll be from politicians. So you're going to get the law and order candidate at 8 a.m. will be pissed, you know, trying to get you a message about, you know, we need to make sure that this, that and the other doesn't happen. Tough on crime. And because you haven't had your coffee, you'll be like, yeah, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So impressionable, Steve. God. (laughs) I I just need that caffeine. You know, once I get the caffeine, I'm totally pro-Obama. Don't ask me before. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you but this is I know it sounds a bit ludicrous, but I kind of feel like a lot of the stuff that happens at the moment would have sounded ridiculous 10 years ago. And that's the direction of travel and we've really got to ask ourselves is this where we want to take politics? So by the time this episode comes out, the referendum in Ireland over the 8th amendment for abortion will have been finished, but the big news now as we're recording is that um Facebook first were the ones to come out and announce that they were going to stop all foreign funded ads on the platform to do with the referendum. The next day, Google decided to one up them and say, we're banning all adverts on Google on YouTube to do with the Eighth Amendment. And the reaction in Ireland has been that this is kind of the companies have stepped in and taken the initiative rather than because there wasn't really any legislation for the government to stop yeah. them. What, what do you make of, of these companies reaction to that? Oh, it's, yeah, it was a really interesting announcement, wasn't it, from both of those companies? And I kind of, I think it was probably the right thing to do as well, because like the the last few years, local elections, referendums, national elections around the world, um, it started really in with the, especially in in Ukraine with the Ukrainian stuff and Russia's meddling there, has been. Every single one has involved some degree of international involvement, meddling, fake adverts, fake content, trying to influence the outcome of these. Not necessarily even just influence the outcome, but also just stir up trouble and division. So you could very well have Russian-sponsored adverts on both sides of the argument, posting ads, contradictory, but really inflammatory, just trying to get people arguing and hating on each other. Because part of the, the vision from the Russian government there is to undermine cohesion in democracy so people end up hating each other. And I mean, we can do that perfectly well without their help, thanks very <laughs> <Yeah>. much. But <laughs> frankly, leave us alone. <laughs> and um, and I think that what they're trying to do, especially since Trump, since the Trump stuff, is to put in place some better measures to try to control and monitor 
where the ad spend's coming on on political on big political events like that. And they've said repeatedly it's going to take them several months to do this. And I think they're just not ready for it. So they figure the easiest thing to do is just to put the blanket ban on. Mm. The, now, the, the difficulty for Facebook more than Google, but I suppose Google via YouTube especially, is that it's not just adverts that can influence or get involved in political debates. I mean, anyone can post anything about, any, about anything they want. So ads are actually only a small part of the problem. You can have 10 million Russian citizens without the support of the government there deciding, hey, let's all get together and just try and, you know, create a load of fake accounts pretending that we're Irish citizens and get and, and stir up a bit of shit in the country while this while this like quite difficult and controversial um, debate's going on. And I don't see an easy way around that. It's one thing to ban ads, and, and you can say at least then the companies won't be making money off this, but it's very hard to ban users from doing it. And I don't... This is why I'm sort of I get a little bit pessimistic because I don't see an easy answer to that problem. Yeah, but what do you guys into, think? I well, mean, otherwise, it, if you start banning users, you're getting into censorship. Well, and that's yeah. like a, a different kettle of fish aside from just regulating advertisers and yeah, feels like regulate regulating advertisers is the, is the easy thing that you yeah. can do and seems legit. You know? Regulating individuals that we're going back to like a movie yeah. territory here now. Well, I know but, the YouTube thing that is something they've been targeted with a lot because. Uh, like home content producers on YouTube can make a lot of money out of it, not necessarily just YouTube themselves. But then, and then, so then YouTube are being are being blamed for allowing people, like especially conspiracy theorists in the yeah. United States, hop on and make a wacky video <laughs> spouting whatever they want immediately after some big event like a mass shooting, and they get all the first clicks up to one hundred thousand or whatever before the main news sites can actually have the time to follow in. And I, but YouTube have tried to take them down, and there's actually been a counter backlash saying that. Sometimes they're taking down the wrong producers. Mm. So yeah, I guess because they're doing it algorithmically, I guess some of yeah. it. Yeah, some of it's all done through algorithm, and you always make a mistake. There's always a mistake with algorithm, and anytime you censor, you decide you're going to start censoring things. Uh, you some people are going to get caught up in the net, right? And so, in in a way, this is just a problem of companies. Once you have this power, you have this responsibility. And so, so I think both of the companies realize they've got a bit more response. They used to kind of wash their hands of this and say, we're just a platform. It's not yeah. our problem. Yeah, platform's a nice catch-all for not being yeah, blamed yeah. for anything. Exactly. Whereas I think now they're increasingly seeing that we've got so much money, we're so influential, we can't hide behind the platform defense anymore. We've got to be a bit more proactive. That's going to cause them some other problems, like people saying, you're censoring me unfairly. But they're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, I, I think in the end, it's going to be about citizens understanding that you've got to be quite sceptical about all the all the stuff you see online. So when you see all this inflammatory content or trend it, a trending topic, uh, you know, this piece of content, oh, I can't believe it's been retweeted 10,000 times. It's a load of rubbish. Mm. That probably isn't 10,000 people retweeting it. It's probably 7,000 bots retweeting it just so it appears in front of your mm. feed. So calm down. Don't get annoyed about it. You know, be very critical about what you see because – what appears to be influential and important online is often the product of a load of manipulation behind the scenes. So that's a good thing for citizens to take on because then hopefully we won't allow ourselves to get so frustrated. Like I go online and I see absolutely ridiculous stuff with loads of shares or loads of retweets. And I, th and I feel my temperature rising. I'm like, I can't believe everyone thinks this is right. Mm. And it's a conscious effort to be like, no, wait. 
that's probably not what it seems. Mm. Do you think, speaking about like bots, that bot discussion, do you think regulation over something like that when the platform is so complicated and it's made up of so many like different, say, engineers and no one person probably fully understands the complexities of these platforms in their entirety and they're only going to get more co- complex. Do you think that will inherently make it harder to regulate these kind of things as they get harder and harder and worse and worse? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And the transnational too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the transna- exactly. yeah this, is the, this is why I'm saying there's a kind of incompatibility problem with democracy because democracy requires that you can regulate things, you can understand them and you can hold them to account and you can... You should be able to look at an algorithm and be like, hang on a minute, this algorithm you've built, this is this is illegal. You're discriminating against people. And the people have a right to know that. And to, we don't we can't do that. We don't know. We don't know how this stuff works. And so like a lot of uh, discussion about whether YouTube's alg- um, uh, recommendation engine algorithm, which proposes new videos for you to watch, whether that is has been accidentally designed, not intentionally but designed to push you into ever more extreme corners. Like, oh, this guy's watching a left-wing video. He must be left-wing. Let's show him some more left-wing ones. And the more radical left-wing ones, the more likely he'll watch them. And because that's then the ones that you've, you're have you offered, you they're obviously the ones you're going to click on, which the algorithm interprets as like, oh, we're right. He is really left-wing. Let's show him some even more left-wing ones. Ten clicks later, you're watching... So you start off watching Vox and you end up watching the uh, socialist worker parties of Azerbaijan's yeah. parties. <laughs> what, a, what a journey. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, that's... And we no one really understands how that even works. So we've got to come up with ways... And I kind of trust, I trust the younger generation coming up behind me to figure oh, really? this one no, out. No, no. Mm. Oh, right, okay. I miss, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay, Minecraft and dabbing. <laughs> so, so, but, but, I, but I kind of, I, I hope that there's, and I do see signs of a lot of young people what's starting to worry about this, realising there's a problem going on. They're, they're studying programming and coding a lot more than I ever did at school because we didn't study that. And so they, I'm sure a lot of the ethical guys worried about this stuff will come through and be like, you know what, I want to work with government trying to work out these problems. The problem is all the best jobs and all the money is going to, if you work for Google, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Tesla, and so on, and Apple, not if you work for some local government enforcement unit. We've got to rebalance it somehow, and I don't know how, but we got to. So you, another part of the book, you didn't spend too much time um, on it because you really want to talk with the politics of it. But you did mention that automation and the change in the economy is going to have huge changes on society in the coming decades as well. That, as you say, the middle class is going to get wiped out and we're going to end up with um, a barbell system of have and have nots. Is that going to further compound these problems? This worries me a lot. I, 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 I think like, a lot of things are I, worrying you. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You've got to All stop writing right. them al- algorithms, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the, I, I uh, yeah, look, that, that's a meaningless sentence, isn't it? This worries me a lot now. <laughs> look, well, let's just assume you're prefacing everything yeah. with this worries me. <laughs> yeah, Colin. yeah, all right. All Jimmy, right. you want a glass of water? Oh, this worries <laughs> me. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I don't understand how the water's coming out the tap. <laughs> <laughs> Where does it come this from? This is undemocratic. And then it disappears again down this hole. What, what, what does it go to? <laughs> I am... Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw it. It was actually uh, the last couple of days that Google released its latest uh, voice. Oh, my God, the, yeah. Did you see I, that? Yeah, yeah, the Google Voice Assistant. It's, I mean... It's Google Voice Assistant can now, like, book uh, a hair appointment for you. 
at the Google I.O. conference they showed. You mean like make a phone call on make your behalf? Make a phone call. And it's not like no. this Siri kind of semi-robotic. This was like a, a voice program that had ums, ahs and ehs programmed into it. Ugh. Yeah. So Terrific. imagine I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the assistant. I'm like, hi, yeah, I'd like to book an appointment for my client on, at 10 a.m. on Wednesday. And it, a person on the other end just thinks that's the normal person. Yeah. It's like, we don't have one on, on, on Wednesday. What about Thursday? And the, and the robot's like, mm, Thursday, that, that should be fine as long yeah. as it's after 2 p.m. So in a millisecond, I mean, it had read it, your calendar and knew it, but it just pretends to take five seconds to tell you. Yeah, and it's, it's umming and ahhing and it's it's asking probing questions. And it's like, yeah, got you, got you. Okay, yeah. right. Let me, uh, let me think. Okay, I think that's fine. Yeah, and it's literally, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Before we get into why this worries you, I've thought of two hilarious things. Number one, can I get one that sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger? And number <laughs> yeah. two, what's going to happen when the hairdressers has a robot answering the phone? Are you going to have yes. two algorithms pretending to be people taking 15 seconds to do what they could have done in a millisecond. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's like her. Dude, <laughs> yeah. I, what, that last scenario, don't know about the Arnie scenario, but... Oh, the, the, <laughs> but, but I, oh no. <laughs> Get to the dresser. <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed, people will be coming up with ways of messing around with this system and doing all sorts of clever and funny things and making weird phone calls to people. But I, but like uh, you, you know, I'm worried about this inequality problem. Richer people are going to be able to afford better and more sophisticated bots, assistant bots, to sort all their lives out while they're really busy. Probably to, if you work for the tech companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're 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 so busy that you're working twelve hours for the tech firms that you ha- you just you can't be bothered to make a phone call and speak to an ordinary person to book your pizza or your taxi or your haircut. That was and the way they phrased it at Google I.O. It was, it was as if this was like this thing that was holding back society, having to make phone calls to, to book haircuts. And yeah, this like, was the big solution. Never speak to an ordinary human again. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you can work more if you don't have to deal with these people. <laughs> and like, I'm, I genuinely, I'm kind of worried that we're building this world in which rich people's amazing AI assistants are going to be communicating with poor people in the service sector to get stuff for those rich people. And it's like, I just, I, it can go in a really dark direction if we're not careful. Uh, there's loads of break, there's going to be loads of amazing ways that this technology can help people. I'm sure there always is, but we've got to worry about who's going to benefit most from this and who's not. And your point about um, will the hairdressers have their own bot? I'm sure of it soon. We'll get, we'll be able to dispense of the person, the receptionist. No need for that job anymore because a bot will sort all of that out. I think it would actually end up being more sophisticated because that would be like a B2B thing, like a business facing thing that they could charge. That'd be more profitable than, say, like your free AI that comes with your phone where it's free, but you're the product. You know what I mean? I feel like businesses would end up having more sophisticated, able to handle multiple phone calls coming in and navigating different tones of voice based on who's contact them, contact them and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I guess bots should know immediately if they're communicating with each other. Mm. Uh, there should be a something in place that lets them, and then they can dispense with this ridiculous conversation. It's just, it's just over like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's just done immediately. Yeah. Wow. So you don't have to, two bots talking to each other, arguing over which thing. Or I'm watched- falling in love, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes think I'm falling in love with the, the woman who says unexpected item in the bagging area. <laughs> oh, you should come to Ireland and get on a public transport bus. They uh, they were used a 60-year-old man recording who, who has bad grammar is uh, whenever the doors are opening on the side to put the luggage in. 
And he says, stand back, luggage door operate. And it goes up. <laughs> Have you never noticed that? <laughs> no. That yeah. yeah, so you're kind of, you're going to start programming in little quirks mm. to make people feel like. <laughs> but like, but, but this, is, this is the problem with it, which is that you, like, it, it's not that there'll be no jobs in future. There, there, there'll be amazing jobs for the people that are building these bots. And those people will be very productive because they won't. They'll be able to get all of their annoying tasks done by automated AI assistants. They'll get richer and wealthier, and they'll own some of the tech, and they'll all the profits they'll be earning, and it'll be amazing. And but then you'll have those jobs like the receptionist jobs that just won't be needed anymore, uh, and will be those people will be looking for jobs that you can't automate, like actually doing the haircut or cycling the pizza. Mm. to the people that have ordered it through their AI bot. And then this is the barbell economy, like clerical work, legal assistant and paralegal work, a lot of writing work. Uh, that stuff won't be necessary. So the algorithm but, is going to be super good at doing the human interaction parts, but then the rest of us are just going to be done the ape, the physical ape stuff yeah. of just moving around. Yeah, Until the exactly. drones get insecure. <laughs> so, so it's like there's this, this is the what this is the sort of the correct dystopia to fear. Not that none of us have jobs and we all lounge around having a great time. Um, what a terrible being given dystopia. a universal basic income and sort of whatever it is, but that <clears throat> we just inequality keeps getting worse and worse in society, you know. And and then you have this kind of category of people who are really well off, really socially liberal, really fantastic, incredibly rich. They live in gated communities, and everyone else who doesn't and who's angry. And politically, the two sides are going to hate each other. And we're just going to get more of this division in society. I mean, I used to live in San Francisco. I used to work in Silicon Valley. Oh, did you? Tech. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I lived in San Francisco. And you can see a microcosm of that already in that city. Where it's crazy, that place. In, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. It it's nuts. unbelievable. You have, you know, these homeless people with yeah. serious drug addictions all over the streets. And then people walking past them, like the most coolest, hippest, 30-year-olds yeah. on skateboards and T-shirts going into their amazing jobs. And it's like, this is insane. Yeah, a frequent occurrence would be, because I, I would, again, live in San Francisco and I got one of those tech buses down to... I remember um, the paragraph yeah. in the book giving out about you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you like, were one of the, I was one one of the of people I, on the I, buses. It was the worst, because like, I, I came over from Dublin. I was super young when I went over. The company had you know, sorted me out with a visa and everything. I was just like wide-eyed. This is amazing. I've got this this fancy tech job. And you get there and you go to the city and the vitriol targeted at you. And I can and I can totally see why. I can absolutely see why. Like bricks were thrown at Google buses when I was there. And I got off, I think it was my second week riding that bus. I got off and um, a guy just shouted at me in, in Castro, San Francisco, um, saying by ruining the neighborhood. I was like, I just got here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what is this about? But you can see that that, that dynamic of, yeah. of the, the tech elite, say, and then the, the, those who have not. Do you and have it? Do you have it at all in Dublin? Because it because Dublin is also a kind of tech hub, isn't it? Yeah, really? Google have seven thousand employees in Dublin, and that's and then whatever amount of contractors that they have as well. Yeah, it's huge, and and every major tech company is represented because it's it, there's not a lot of um, like product development happening over there, but there would be a lot of sales and support positions yeah. and yeah, nice um, tax breaks. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. headquarters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you so. know, it's I, I I this is this when I was in San Francisco, and and I don't it's, I don't really blame the tech guy. I mean, the tech no, guys are, it, yeah. are often really cool people. They are, they do believe their products are helping the world. They're, they're, 
you know, they're also just trying to make a living for themselves. Yeah. It's, ju- it's just a, an underlying economic dynamic. It's not yeah. any one person's fault. So it's no good. I don't point the finger at the tech people and be like, you guys are ruining everything. It's just there's a system unfolding here that's just, it just feels quite unhealthy. And I, I looked at San Francisco to say, if this is the future of our societies, then I, I don't like I don't like where it's heading. Yeah. Yeah, it, that became like at first. It's a very shiny city, and I, I did love my time there. But by the end of it, there is that does kind of grate on you a little bit. There's only so much of that dichotomy you can see on a daily basis before it like really starts. You start feeling a bit it. guilty as yeah, well because you're like, I'm on this so. amazing campus with like artisanal coffee and yeah. like a free amazing lunch, and then I go, I want to go out to these cool bars. I'm going through bits of town which are just. They're so just bad. Tense everywhere. So tense, yeah. so rough, and it's like, yeah. oh man. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a weird place. It's a weird yeah. place for sure. You make me all nostalgic, but in the worst <laughs> way. <laughs> Is it true to say though that not all the um the tech billionaire types are necessarily optimistic about the future themselves? Isn't there like a new culture of Silicon Valley preppers? Yeah, 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 there is, yeah. I this mean, is weird nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Because they're always so optimistic when you see them like at their conferences and stuff. TED Talks. Yeah, yeah TED Talks. Ted Talks. Also... Yeah, the, 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 the rumour is that they're not always so optimistic in private. So where mm. is Mark Zuckerberg's bunker and how many nuclear bombs can it take? Before? <laughs> <laughs> I, like there's this, yeah, this kind of movement of Silicon Valley preppers who have basically... Sometimes it's just because they're so rich that they're like, we might as well on. hedge our bets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're yeah. so loaded that why not? Peter Thiel, one of the great uh, investors in Silicon Valley, uh, who's another Bond villain, um, but also a genius. I mean, he's like a grandmaster level chess The player. best Bond villains always are. Yeah. Well, they are, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, of course. So, so uh, he, he has a, a citizenship in New Zealand. And he apparently has this like amazing bolt hole there that, you know, acres of land, well protected. He's got a plan in place to be able to leave very quickly. And, you know, he's got like planes on standby and that is kind he, of is stuff. Is he originally from New Zealand or did he acquire no, this? No, he's originally through? from Germany. He's German, yeah. Oh, right. But spent a lot of time in the US. So this was a calculated decision. Yes. Yes. And apparently a significant number of Silicon Valley millionaires and billionaires have this kind of get away this mm. and 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 some of that concern is being driven by the possibility that we're creating this world where so many jobs will be automated ai is going to be incredibly powerful millions of people are going to kind of rebel against the system and those people will blame the techies they'll well, be like you guys are taking you guys have built the tech that's taken all of our jobs mm. and we're going to come and get you for it and they don't really care because they're in their you know ai protected fortress that it's fine because they're wearing they, mech yeah. suits now. Yeah, so like <laughs> the same, the same people up. who are building the society are that is going to end up like this dystopian are already hedging their bets against it. Yeah, that's that should be cause for some worry. And yeah. the frustrating thing is, like, I can't afford a getaway. Yeah, like when things go mm. wrong, I'm just going to be in the middle of it. But these guys are fine. They're going to buy gonna... a bunch of baseball bats and hope that's enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I live in a basement flat anyway, so I'll just hide down there. <laughs> I got with, a like, tins of, of tuna. That's my bolt. Yeah, and tins of baked beans. <laughs> Uh, but but the, the 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 I I met one of them and I went to his like island. Wow! Uh, it's called Antonio Garcia Martinez. He used to be a product development, uh, like a, a a product officer at Facebook, and he was really actually important in building custom audiences, which is one of Facebook's key uh, advertising products that Donald Trump really relied on. 
So, uh, yeah, he's like a quite an integral player at this, actually. Mm. But he, like a few years ago, he was really worried about the direction of travel. He could see that millions of jobs would be automated and maybe we'd create new jobs, but a lot of people are going to lose out. And those people are basically the way he'd say it, is that those are the people that have guns in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, they're, and they're not just going to sit around and take it. And I don't like the way San Francisco's going. I see, I see in that a kind of vision of the future. And so he decided to leave and he, he, he can't afford a, a massive palace in New Zealand, but he's got himself off on the Washington State coast a little island he lives in a sort of high-tech teepee. <laughs> and I went over there. And What's we, a high-tech teepee? We, well, it's like a teepee that's really amazing. Like, And it's got this beautiful wooden floor like like here in yeah. this room, you know, and it's got a nice, a nice yeah. toilet and a nice this and a nice that. And it's, you know, it's just, it's comfortable. Sounds like a house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Well, I'm calling it a teepee because yeah. it's more romantic. <laughs> it's very romantic. It's more, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> when I was there, it literally was a teepee. Like, uh-huh. we put it we put it up together. What? And he still was going to the bathroom in a bucket. But I've since... What an interesting man. <laughs> but I said, yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He's yeah. a really interesting guy. Uh, he's a, he's actually got a New York Times bestselling book out as well. Oh, wait. About his time working for Facebook. Oh, is it more of like an expose kind of a thing? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. I'd be interested yeah. in that. What's so I don't name? know if he went to, it's called uh, Chaos Monkeys. So I don't know whether he went to his TP to avoid Facebook's lawyers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't worry, Zuckerberg will find him if he wants to. <laughs> yeah. well, um, so are there any solutions? We've, we've, yeah, we heard a lot of wor- the W word. and the, But like, what are some things that maybe alleviate so that worry? The EU, which is such an amazing... Uh, organization that can fix all problems um they, they're suggesting a three percent tax on revenues over whatever amount of bazillions to try and catch these multinationals as they avoid paying taxes as a way to like try and boost up the state and try and help it survive do you think that'll work i i oh god you know, you know, I said at the beginning how my editor made me put those brackets in mm. about how to save it. It was, it was a tough ask, was it? <laughs> it was a tough oh, because I was like, well, they got, you, they're like, you got to come up with some ideas, and I was like, I've got some ideas, but I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not a. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to some of these problems. Only to raise awareness about them, get people thinking about them. Get smarter people than me to come up with answers and solutions. Fine, we'll do it. The Homer yeah, Simpson, guys. the Homer Simpson ideology. Can't someone else do it? <laughs> but I did write this book. But can someone else? Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm interested in in new ideas about what you do, and uh, you know, large. This is a this is an international problem. International organisations like the EU clearly got to play a role. I mean, and they have been more than anyone else been pushing back against the monopolies. They've been fining them. They've fined yeah. Google a huge amounts of money. We got this GDPR yeah. rule coming in that everyone's terrified about. That mm. I think is probably actually quite a good thing. Yeah. Although it probably means we'll lose the artificial intelligence race with China because they don't have pesky privacy laws to stop them researching stuff. So that's bad. I'm worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned they're implementing a point system to evaluate. Oh, the, what the Chinese are doing is a whole nother question. <laughs> uh, we can't even get into that, but that's another dystopia to worry about. <laughs> let's think about how democracy is screwed. Let's not like let's go to the authoritarian or already authoritarian systems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And how they'll use this technology to monitor people even better, which I'm sure they will. They already are. Mm. But so, so I, I think the EU might actually be quite a good body at the moment to do something about this you know they've clearly decided they're going to take consumer privacy seriously that they're 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 brave enough to go after the big tech companies 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of looking. Good job the UK's just left, just at the just, moment when <laughs> we really need them. Yeah. Good one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's one. That is one answer. That is one answer. It's a concerted effort. I mean, I am looking uh, maybe far too hopefully that that domestic governments can also start doing more. Like we've got to update our election law. So like let's say for example. You used to have big billboards on walls and television ads in elections, and you could monitor them. Everyone got to see them. The regulators could check they were accurate. Obviously, now when you're getting personal, have you ever been to Ireland during an election? Not during an election. It doesn't matter what election it is for. Every single space in every single area, rural and urban, is covered in uh, poster billboards like AU three or A two. You know what? I have seen that. Yeah, Mm. I have. And I don't even think it was an election time. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed that. How many? And they're like quite big pictures of the candidate. Oh yeah, well, they all follow a very specific format. Yeah, even for the referendum, which isn't about specific individuals, they still have pictures of people because that's just how the Irish people apparently relate to political issues. Yeah. So. But that's all we have. We we only have laws governing that. Yeah, exactly. We yes. don't have anything to cover the internet sphere. So you got laws on the TV ads as well. Oh yeah, very strict, yeah. very strict. Right, yeah, and I don't know. Is there a blackout period? In the moratorium Ireland? kicks yeah. in like twenty four hours. Before yeah, the right. Election. So yeah. France has a thing that's a week, I think. The UK has a twenty four hour one too. And, but when it comes to the online stuff, yeah, so it's, our, it's lawless. The national yeah. broadcaster can't talk about it on its six one news, but then on the web, on the news website, it can have massive articles saying whatever it wants. Yeah. It's, it's, come on, that's ridiculous, yeah. mm. isn't it? We, so so we, we've got to try to update our law to reflect if we want those principles and we believe those principles are important. Because the idea of the 24-hour blackout is that citizens need time to reflect a bit on everything they've seen. They don't want to have last-minute noises in their ears and they should be able to think about that in peace. You can't do that when you're walking around with a phone where you're getting messages all the time about this stuff. If we think that's an important principle, we've got to try to enforce it online too. And one way with the political ads is to say, all right, all the political parties, every single ad that you target online through Facebook or whatever, or it's on Google or it's on, it's on, it's on um, banner ads on websites, you've got to publish them. You've got to publish all of them and you've got to show how you targeted people and who you targeted and what iterations of ads you ran on them. And how successful those ads were, and and publish it all in a big, massive, boring Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> like the expenses, like they have to. Yeah, do exactly. That, yeah. And and you know, and, and journalists will then rake over it. And it shouldn't just be seventy percent of our budget went on online ads. <laughs> but here's our breakdown of posters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So 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 there's a few. I think there are a few laws that we we can introduce. And you know what? Maybe politicians are going to have to get up to speed a bit quicker about this because some of them just don't understand what the hell's going on. Yeah. It's hard for them to pass laws when they don't get it. They, this is all, a lot of it's alien to them. Yeah. I think the, the, the um, Zuckerberg, when Zuckerberg went to Washington, that yeah, was pretty hearings, evident yeah. of, of, of the, the state of their understanding. It was interesting that because what I found is that some of the senators were really good and you could tell, and you could tell they were they were holding him to account they were really pushing him and some just had no idea what on earth the internet was yeah it's sort of like what the fundamental concept of what an email was yeah (laughs) everything was an email when i do the whatsapp do do you do you do you put it to the emails it's not good enough is it it's not good enough Mm. i don't know how's i don't know how you'd consider your the state of your politicians whether you think they're better than oh we got a super cool young 
trendy Taoiseach who's on Twitter all oh, the time. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Those to, trendy uh, leaders are all the rage right now. Yeah, oh, good luck. Same, same said trendy leader has done feck all to do anything with this latest referendum online. So, Well, I remember when Tony Blair was the trendy leader. <laughs> I mean, he was called the trendy vicar. He was like oh. he was like a cool vicar. <laughs> really? That was well, that was that was what that was the kind of the joke about him. He yeah. was like the cool vicar. Yeah, he's cool, he but still kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So beware of trendy young leaders. Basically, <laughs> is my message. Yeah. Um, so, so you we we uh, if if it's not politicians, then at the very least, um, bits of the government need to really upskill the staff, the quality. Like you suggested, we, like an algorithm police, perhaps not not police that are algorithms, because that's definitely <laughs> not going to be good. But rather, police that understand algorithms. Yeah, exactly. And 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 we we have this information commissioner's office here, which can go around and investigate privacy breaches and stuff like that. But it's like seven people and a dog. Yeah. And it's like it has it's got no powers compared to what it needs and it's got no staff compared to what it needs. And they should be allowed to say, we've heard that your algorithms that you've built are discriminating in the CV. Like, let's say it's a CV checking algorithm that companies use to try to filter out CVs. We can we're hearing that you're routinely discriminating against women because it's your data is historical data where women maybe didn't do so well in these jobs. And so that's fed into the algorithm, which is now continuing that pattern. So we want to investigate your algorithm, please. And the, the company should be forced to, to do that. So this is a kind of new way that you might hold algorithms to account. And Because I, I think that's this kind of algorithmic injustice is, is a real thing. I heard someone saying, as actually someone posted on Twitter, saying that they'd heard an Uber driver you know, how's your day today? And he's like, oh, brilliant. The algorithm's been kind to me today. Oh, oh that's so isn't dystopian. That, isn't that horrible? Oh, See, both of you were immediately like, oh, straight yeah. away. Yeah, oh. it's, yeah, it's like the connotation. Why? Like, Why does that feel so bad to you? It's worship. It's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like literally like you, could, you the gods smile upon you type thing. But when language. you're working in a job which is based on an algorithm giving you jobs randomly. That's what it or, is. Yeah. Isn't that what's happening? Mm. So we like we've got to find a way of holding these things to account because I find that awful. That's a horrifying thought, you know. Um, but I get it as well with Twitter. Like if I put a tweet out and I just get a bit fortunate that the right person retweets it, it's like yes, yeah. Well, oh my god. <laughs> we were talking earlier on that I had uh, a bit of a journey to get here mm. when I was uh, at the final crunch time with people shouting at the air the airline representative at the end of the. At the end of the delayed flight, and um, one of them goes, "I'm a senior journalist on Twitter, and Jeremy Clarkson retweeted my <laughs> my disdainful no. tweet about this situation, and that's why you're here. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but uh, Jeremy Clarkson retweeted a, a, a bad tweet with this airline tagged in it, and then all of a sudden, the representatives are on the floor. <laughs> you see what that's that is, and that's a weird. This is a good example, I think, of how power is still out there, but just in a new way. So the idea that these technologies are uh, inherently liberating for everyone. Mm. Well, not really, because if you're a person on Twitter with loads of followers who complains, I've, I've, I don't do it myself, but I see a lot of people do it. They decide. I tried, I'm not to, I tried to do it; it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not influential <laughs> enough. Uh, one day, but like who you you know used to comp- used to phone up a switchboard and complain, and everyone had the same way of doing it. Now people complain publicly on Twitter saying at British Airways or at Aer Lingus or at Ryanair or whatever. You know, this is disgusting. What's happened to me? I've been waiting six hours, blah, blah, blah. And if you're influential, you will get an answer. They will do something. And if you're not, you'll get ignored. 
But when you used to phone up, you know, everyone was kind of treated. The, so, so we've created these new inequalities that we're still, I think, trying to work out. That, I th- but I think will be just as powerful as the old ones. Now, the other thing you said about the solutions, I think in the end, it's probably going to come down to us. Like we, all of us, are building this society. When I mentioned like, oh, the algorithm's been good to me today. Oh, it's horrible. The algorithm is based on my Uber rides that I've taken as well. Like I have built that algorithm. Mm. We are all complicit in building this world. We are complicit in all of us being addicted to our phones, staring at them all the time. We've got to do something about that. We have to make decisions. We have to try to regain our own powers of attention. I think we should start looking at our online behavior a bit like we do with fair trade. You know, like when everyone started buying organic fair trade eggs. It's going to be uh, the fair trade fair, social media algorithm. Fair trade social media. Mm. Yeah, seriously. Like fair Frank trade coffee. <laughs> fair media. trade coffee and free range eggs. I mean, I remember when that all came in and yeah. everyone started thinking, wow, yeah, you know what? Maybe my consumer decisions are actually important. I, I can make a difference here. And I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember when that really first started and it was like, oh my God, the fair trade coffee, it's like 50p more expensive, but I should buy that because that's the right thing to do. And maybe it's the, tra- the same online. Maybe you're going to be like, okay, this search engine that I'm going to use, it's not as good as Google. It's going to annoy me, but maybe that's the fair trade alternative that I should, I should support that one. Mm. Or maybe I should pay for a service uh, and that's the right thing to do. And yes, it's more expensive, but convenience is not the only thing that matters and price is not the only thing that matters in the world. And on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Yeah, yeah I think I think I need to go and fill a basement with baseball bats and beans. So we should... I thought you had one already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to be sounds bigger. Like I... my, yeah, sounds like my flat. <laughs> baseball bats and beans. Yeah. Sounds like a, my next album. Is what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> Richie Nolan presents Baseball Bats and Beans. Jamie, thank you so much. The book is fantastic. Like it really, really is. It's available on Amazon if you want to feed it into the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Or or just go to Jamie's house and he'll have a sack of them in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> you can find Jamie on the, at certain corners around London selling it. Um, that's the best, most fair trade way to do it. Yeah, but exactly. Otherwise, you can get it on Kindle, on Amazon. You can get it in uh, most good bookstores, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It is, it's excellent. It is excellent. I would describe it as like essential reading. Going forward, the way we're, the society is progressing, I would say it is essential reading for everyone. Even if it's a little bit scary, you, you know, it's That's scary, but he is nice enough to put 20 points to, to help us at the end. This is so, a nice optimi- yeah. optimistic end, in parentheses, if you will. <laughs> Even though it was like, you could tell it was really rushed and put there because it was forced to. But it was no written in crayon in every yeah. book. Spelling mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trails off at the end and says, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> no, but it's, it's great. The, the, the solutions at the end, the 20 point solutions at the end are all the nice way to end it, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So you don't end the well, thanks very much, guys. And thanks, uh, thanks very much for having me. No, no problem. Yeah, problem. Cheers. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.